Hello and welcome to Modern Homemakers. I'm Leah Parker and I'm here with Donna Otto and we're going to continue our discussion on staying and today we're talking about staying as the family of God. But before we get started, I wanted to just look at the calendar and recognize it is September 28th. We are just days away from September and I hope that you are starting to make plans for your family and the Advent season. And so we want to remind all of you that we have our Advent candles and daily devotional or daily Bible study available now on the website. So if that's something that you like to incorporate into your Advent celebration, or you like to give it away to other people to encourage them to celebrate the Advent season, those are available right now on our products page under Christmas or under holidays. Um, we hope you can find it and we hope that you enjoy. So Donna, let's talk today about staying as the family of God. I'm, I'm happy to do this. I love this staying subject, staying and leaving culture. This is, we face this so clearly. And you know, it's cute. You're cute. I don't know if cute, I don't think Leah would like it if I said cute, but it's quite um, connected. The candle has been such a, we have been offering that candle for over 30 years. Hmm. It started out, I was in an LA Mart, a gift mart, and I saw this candle that had a crash at the bottom and it had numbered one through 25. And at the time we were in a church, um, I think the whole culture was uh, less liturgical. We were very evangelical. And so while the liturgical church had been celebrating Advent and Lent for thousands of years, really, um, our church had not, but we had this candle that just went for December, 1 through 25, and we began doing it and writing it, and then we added verses to it and classes to it. So the candle is a part of something we did regularly, and every Christmas we would have guests from somewhere, a family who lived in Illinois, or Iowa, or Nebraska, and they would come, and suddenly we were showing them how to have a candle lighting experience on reading the Word of God together during Christmas. So the family is a lot about that. It's about doing things together. But I want to build a little more foundation than that um, by reading a couple of passages, Genesis 1, 27, one verse, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Okay. Then we're going to move to chapter 2 and read a few verses out of chapter 2. Then God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And I was recently talking to someone about that who has studied the book of Genesis quite seriously. And um, the, the comment was that they had that God had made this beautiful place. Okay, think about the world untouched by any trouble. No human beings, no Coke cans left anywhere, just this beautiful world God had created. And he makes them this creature out of the image of himself because he wants them to appreciate this. And then he said, but it's not good for him to be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. 
So out of the ground the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called him, every living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper as a partner. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with the flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man she was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, we know that's a setup for sin that's about to come. We're not going to talk about that because we're talking about what is the family. And as old as I am, I, I think any time I get near man, woman, family, children. I I cannot get near it without this thought of of God's intentionality. I love intentionality. I have tried to be intentional with my life. I have taught the importance of starting and staying and being intentional. But God does he does this whole process very intentionally. And when he created man, he created man in his image, like God. And then he created woman out of the man. And this is now bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, which I'm sorry to tell you, no matter who you are, no matter who you love, no matter how many children and grandchildren you have, we love our own flesh more. Like, you know, when I have a pain... I want to get my pain fixed. When I'm fearful about, I, I'm, I'm about me. And, and this is so clear to make us understand that we are all naturally about ourselves. And so God says, I don't, I don't want that because I want you to love me and fear me. And I want you to be part of a family. And I'm going to create this man in my image. And I'm going to create this woman out of this man. And to this day, no matter who's trying to explain it or not explain it, no matter how much scientists have done, no matter how many uh, cows or sheep they've made to create, uh, to be able to create a living thing, we still can create living things only by the way God designed. One man and one woman there to continue to create other men and other women. I think that's an important piece when we think about understanding family and staying with a family. You know as well as I do that there is no more difficult person in the world to understand than your spouse. Whether you're a woman and you're married to a man and he's your spouse or vice versa, your spouse is the most difficult person to understand because they are different. The first marriage Adam is told to take care of because he would be smarter than the other animals and they would need help. They would need help growing. And God adds, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, my husband is a very quiet person. He 
he loves, let me repeat, loves to be alone. And um, I laugh when I see it in his eyes. Like, he lo- I, I'm coming toward him again, and he looks up at me. Uh, to this day, he still has that, oh, no, here she comes again, look. <laughs> and really, in our lifetime, I had to learn that that this man needed more alone time than I didn't. I knew existed. When we were first married, I broke down all those barriers. I thought, no, 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 we're going to be together. We, we're going to be one. Now, that was very immature on my part. But I can tell you that he, he is who he is, and he needs his alone, as do I. But when I go away, and when I used to travel and speak quite a lot, I would be gone for six days or eight days. I did a few international trips where I was gone for 10 days or 12 days, and he would say to me when I got home, I'm good for six days, but I'm not good for eight. I'm good for three days, but I'm not good for five. And and now I think he says, I'm good for two days, I'm not good for three. Because... We have become such one that he he really misses he misses he misses the little things. He doesn't miss my brilliant mind and my discussion capabilities. That's a joke, um, but he misses having coffee in the morning. He misses putting my cup out, and he sets up the coffee at night every night. So, what are the characteristics of unity? God did not create Eve from the dust, but rather Adam's frame and his rib. And I have heard teachers say, close to Adam's heart. And I think that that is very true and very important. I think not only was she created from Adam's rib for closeness and for oneness, that the two would procreate from their oneness, new ones. And I often think of all that man has been able to do, this is still the one thing he cannot do without a wife, without a woman. Then the man should leave his other his father, his mother, he should leave them and cleave to his wife, and they should become one. Now, does that mean I'm going to look like David, wear a suit and a tie, or he's going to wear a dress? Or I, 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 he, We are to become one so that we together bring the best, the best of what I have and the best of what he has. And I want to not in any um, awkward way remind you that this has to do with the procreation of those ones. I don't know how many children you have running around your house. We have one. But we had that one because we were a male and a female and cleaving together to procreate one. And so teaching in marriage is about the strength of relationship we have together and why we choose to continue to procreate, which was God's design to inhabit this earth. And so he designed marriage. Matthew Henry, who is a Bible scholar, says, The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And that is one of my absolute, uh, most believable of all the things I've heard about why woman, why man, why rib, why out of dust, why in God's image, why to have children. Uh, There are so many things that have been said about it. 
And there's so much contradictory in our culture, believing that women should be more mannish and men should be more womanish and men should do everything women should do and women should do everything marriage should do. Now, marriage is much more than a civil contract or a social arrangement. It's a contract between two people, man and woman, who bind themselves together in a permanent union until death. Okay? I recently... um, very recently was at a wedding of some very, very precious people to me. And uh, as they recited their vows and they spoke those words that of love and cherish till death do us part. I've been to many weddings recently. We don't say that. And that's because the subject of marriage and Jesus' teaching about marriage, his creation of it in Genesis, and his teaching of it in Matthew, which we're going to look at next, is because it was designed to be a permanent union and until death, and until death. And as you know, you live in this culture, uh, divorce is is rampant, Uh, the statistics are uncanny, Um, the the statistics about divorce in the last decade have actually declined. And when I read that, I thought, oh, that's lovely. That means marriages are doing better. No, no, they haven't doing any better. If anything, they're just not, we're just not getting married. We're just living together. The population of people who live together, who don't ever say a vow of love to one another, who don't ever say, I will live with you till death do us part, who don't even want to get married now because the result is they'll probably get divorced anyway, and they don't want to go through the cost and expense of it. So that I am talking to you about staying in a way that God has talked to us about it in the scripture. So now I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 19, and I would really recommend that uh, you read this chapter, especially the first nine verses, but I'm only going to read a couple of verses because of time. Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, as a part of verses 1 through 9. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave. This is Jesus Um, on earth during his three years of ministry and he's talking about divorce and the Pharisees are talking about whether it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife or whatever and this is Jesus's reply for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Let me say this to you as a Bible teacher. Always remember that anything that's spoken about in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and then spoken about in the New Covenant, the New Testament, has a greater power to it because it has been the same in, in both eras, in both worlds, forever. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two of them shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. No one, which includes one of the two of you. David and I have had great laughs about that, uh, that they would become one and no one could separate them, that we would become one flesh. Because David is very bald and has been very bald since his 30s. And I have an enormous nose, if you've seen a picture of me. And I've had this nose since I was born. Well, I really wasn't big till I was about 12. And we laugh about what a spectacle the two of us would be if we were literally in one flesh. 
But God isn't talking about the literal being of one flesh, although he is talking about the purity of the marriage. So if you've seen any of The Chosen, which I continue to remind you about, because I really think it's excellent, and excellent for your children to watch with you, I so many times the Pharisees and the Romans are trying to expose Jesus' word. They're trying to find fault with him. They're asking questions that are really not looking for an answer. They're trigger questions. Did you ever do that to your children? You should not do that if you do that to your children. You should not do that to your husband. What were you thinking? That's not what you mean to say, is it? What you mean to say is what you did, you shouldn't have been thinking about. So don't don't put someone in a place that you're finding fault. That's what they did to Jesus over and over. And this question was a marriage, a divorce question. And Jesus stayed from either of the two popular choices about divorce and marriage. Instead, he says... What God, therefore, has joined together, let no man put asunder. No man should take it apart. And if you are a married person, you are that man. You are that man. You're the wife. You're the husband. You are the man that Jesus is talking about, the human person, that no human person should try to break up that marriage. Now, this this comes to me every time I speak about this because it is a true story. Uh, um, a young woman who came to me hmm, 25 years ago, beautiful girl. She knew she was beautiful. And she t- came to me to tell me that she had made a decision about a man in her office who was a married man, and she had made a decision that she wanted that married man to be her man. It was the first time that I actually interfaced with someone who answered this question that Jesus says, let no one separate them. Like, that's an outsider. That's you on the inside. That's a mother or a father or a child. We are held responsible for things we might do, triggers we might pull that would in any way cause a marriage to be divided. And that's what she did. Beautiful girl, she lured him, and she took the sacredness of their marriage and and divided it. She was severely sorry and did everything she could possibly do to help the two of them be reunited. But the deed had been done, and it was no way of the two of them remarrying. Marriage is sacred to God. He says at the beginning of the marriage ceremony that we are gathered in the sight of God. We don't just go to the church to get married because the church is beautiful. We are gathered in the sight of God. We are joining together two people, a man and a woman, so that no one would um, bring them apart. Rhetoric and popular marital codes in movies, stage, radio, TV, are far below the code established by God. The accepted marital code set forth in modern movies, novels, radio, television, is far below the code that God established. Today, marriage is not popularly considered as two persons becoming one, nor is the commitment to each other until death. Rather, it's sometimes thought of a social convenience. I remember moving to Arizona, and when we moved here, a very large city attached to Phoenix, which is called Sun City, was called Sin City. It was called Sin City because most of the people who lived out there, all of them have to be at least 55 years old, 
were older, their spouses had died, and they each had incomes and trusts and money, and if they got married, their incomes would be lost or divided or lessened. So older men and women lived in sin, not getting married, and they called Sun City Sin City. So it's not just the lure of a beautiful body at 25 years old. It's the lure of what social convenience is to you. There are temporary situations like the loss of money that can be difficult, but the marriage is inaugurated by God not to accommodate man or woman's appetites or trends or tendencies, but his principles are to change who we are. The sanctity of marriage includes fidelity. The passage in 1 Corinthians that the twain shall be one has to do with a physical union. To be faithful to the regard of this pledge of matrimony, God designed it even with creation as he created animals, male and female. There's no provision for polygamy. God made a pair, not a harem. He made one man and one woman for each other. And the scripture indicates that there would be problems with this, and we have seen it happen. I love Timothy Keller, who recently died and went home to heaven, got there before me. I love his work on the meaning of marriage and the purpose of marriage. And he says that mutual love and helpfulness and the propagation of his kingdom, fellowship, fun, activities, working for the common good, a companionship that is lifelong. You are known and you know your partner. David and I laugh so many times about so many little things that if I die or he says, if he kicks off and I marry someone else, he won't know all those little things about you. And we laugh about it. But the truth is, there are more little things that we have in common than big things. The two are opposite And they are man and woman, and they were to be united. And they were united to be fruitful and multiply, as Genesis tells us, and train up children, as Proverbs tells us. The permanence of marriage, the permanence of marriage, when I talk about staying, I'm just repeating what God has said in many different ways. But in Mark chapter 10, and that's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, I'm turning my Bible. I should have had that ready. Mark chapter 10, verses 8 through 12. You can't see me here, but I'm trying to find my glasses so I can read it. Mark chapter 10, verses 8 through 12. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, the church, the church of Jesus Christ has made many provisions. And I want you to hear me say this and nearly as I end this show, I am not talking about divorce, which is necessary if you are living with someone who is brutalizing you, who is beating you, who is harming your children. These are established places. But I am talking about marriage, staying married, 
And even if you are being divorced because of those circumstances, that that gives you a place to consider, shall you marry again or shall you not marry again? And how long should you wait in hopes that the sick person in the marriage could be restored? Think of the differences of who we are and who God calls us to be. When David married me, um, he was a very different David than he is now. I often say I have no idea how many Donnas David's been married to because I've changed so many times. I can remember the first time that he said to me, I don't know why, but suddenly you have a different opinion about that. And I thought, oh, I do, because I've learned something different, and we need to talk about that. When he married me, I was a skinny 103 pounder. Yeah, 103 pounds I was, five foot seven inches tall. I wasn't the teacher. I wasn't the gray haired woman I am today, the talkative person I've always been. But there was much less of Donna. And Paul tells us very clearly on the teaching in the family. I'm not talking about going to the TV shows, whatever happened to Beaver or Beaver's Back or Mrs. Beaver who vacuums in her high heels and her aprons. I'm talking about what Jesus says to us in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 21 through 23. And I will nearly close with this. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. So often... We read the two passages that follow at verse 25. We don't read the first verse. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Leah and I sit at this desk as followers of Christ, and we are subject to one another. But in marriage, because we have read the passages to believe that one is higher than the other, to make one more power than the other. And we've distorted that because when we are subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, that's how we were when we met. If you're in a committee with a man and you're a woman or vice versa and your committee work is being done, you are being subject to each other. But he says further, wives be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. As you are to the Lord. What does that mean? Am I subject to the Lord if he tells me to do something? How many times have you heard God say, Be quiet, Donna. Offer generosity, Donna. Give grace, Donna. And instead, the Donna who wants to get even says, Blah, 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 blah. This is what Paul is telling us through Christ. Wives be subject. Husbands, the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. What is Christ the head of the church? He loves us so much that he gave his only son. Do you love your wife that much? And verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul continues to talk about family relationships in Ephesians chapter 6, the rest of chapter 5. He encourages these relationships to be a a basic unit of the society we live in. Again, not Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, not, not a fixed way for a man or a woman to live. I happen to think aprons are a good clothes saver, but that doesn't because I'm looking at Mrs. Beaver and I want to vacuum in my high heel shoes. I've seen something recently that's very troubling to me about my culture. 
who I love and pray for. I see more commercials with one parent and two kids. One parent, sometimes a man, sometimes a woman. The changes in our culture are not God's plan for the family. God, not God's plan for the permanence of marriage. Not God's plan for the staying factor that it takes till death do us part. In the good and in the bad, it is a hard thing to stay married for any length of time. And I'm talking to you about staying together as a family of God. When you become a man and woman, you become a family to create God's creation. And where to stay in that. Staying in a leaving culture is my job and I'm encouraging you to consider your staying in your marriage, in your relationship, and trusting God for the results. Mm. Thank you, Donna. Thank you for the lesson today. And I just want to remind everyone once again of all of the resources available on the website, Holidays and Beyond. Remember, we are modern homemakers. Remember the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out today and make it uncommon by staying as a family of God.